Our second reading today comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came like the, a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at that sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show portents in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, today is the day of Pentecost. And Miss Sue might have ruined it for all of you and told you that that is the day that is the church's birthday. Because today we celebrate the day that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. Pentecost comes from the word 50 because it takes place 50 days after Jesus was resurrected. It is 10 days after Jesus ascended into heavens. 
So put yourself in the disciples' place. It has been a roller coaster for them. Their teacher, their master, was crucified before them, dead and buried. And they were lost. But three days again, he resurrected and was appearing before them and teaching them and guiding them once again. But then, just a few weeks later, he ascends into heaven. And again, they are without their teacher, without their master. They're unsure what to do. So they go to Jerusalem and gather in a house as he has instructed them. And while he's there, there's this horrific sound like a rushing wind. And the spirit, looking like tongues of flame, descends from heaven and rushes, or rests upon each one of their heads. This must have been a terrifying occurrence. So the disciples rush out to the streets, and most of the Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem at that time rush out at the streets at the sound of this noise. And the disciples begin to speak, begin to praise God, and everyone understood them in their own language. No matter if they spoke Greek, if they spoke some other language, they understood what the disciples were saying. The disciples said Yanni, and they heard Laurel. They said Laurel, and they heard Yanni. And some were put off. They said, surely the disciples are drunk. They got into some new wine. This is just nonsense. And Peter spoke up, said, no, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Like, that stops some people. They said, instead, this is what the prophet Joel had foresaid. God is pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us. Can you imagine that moment? The wind, the tongues of flame, the people speaking in different languages, but everyone understanding each other. Now, most of you probably know I've been slightly obsessed for the past couple of years with Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical Hamilton. I, I, I love it. I listen to the soundtrack probably actually on a daily basis because now Hannah has discovered the soundtrack and she requests to listen to it every morning at breakfast. And in the song, My Shot, uh, Hamilton is gathering with some of his fellow revolutionaries talking about the moment. He says, scratch that. It's not a moment. It's a movement. And I think we could apply that to Pentecost. Pentecost is not a moment, but it's the beginning of a movement. And if you look up movement in the dictionary, there are two definitions. To move from one location to another or to change position or have it changed for you. That is the first definition. It's the one we most often think about. But the other is to try to influence change along political, societal, or artistic ideas. The first movement is easy. I am moving my arms. I'm moving my legs. I'm moving from here to here. The other is the movement like the civil rights movement, the women's suffrage rights movement. In recent years, the Tea Party movement, the, Opera, or the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement. People trying to get together under a common cause. And I think both these definitions apply to Pentecost. Pentecost was a day of moving from here to there because it started in Jerusalem, but it went out to the ends of the earth. 
think about it, in every country throughout the world now, there are Christian churches, whether they're public or private. Christianity has spread throughout the world, but it all started in Jerusalem. And the church spread, and it moved. But it's also a movement because the disciples, the believers, those gathered there, bonded together under a specific cause. The cause of glorifying God. Of proclaiming the grace as shown in Jesus Christ. Of proclaiming that Christ died for us, died so that our sins may be forgiven and resurrected and we might share in his eternal life. And the movement began. So my question today is what type of movement should the United Parish of Bowie take? What type of movement should we be? When I think of the ways that churches move, a lot of churches move in the manner of pacing. They walk from here, here, and they pace back and forth. They might wring their hands. They might wipe sweat from their forehead. But it's a nervous movement. It's a movement of a church that's scared. That's frightened. And this is understandable. Study after study, report after report, talks about how mainline denominations and all churches throughout the United States are shrinking. Their memberships diminishing. They talk about how the the younger generations, the rise of the nuns, the none of the above, the, the no organized religion talk about how church was in its heydays in the 50s and 60s and it's been downhill since then and churches worry churches stress churches pace back and forth with nervous energy and they worry about their budgets we don't have enough people in the seats we don't have enough dollars in the collection plate How are we going to make our budget? How are we going to pay our bills? How are we continue to be a church? And they pace back and forth. They look at their congregation and they picture that congregation 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And they don't like what they see. They aren't bringing in new members. They aren't growing They aren't paying their bills or drawing from savings every month. And they get nervous and they pace. And the thing about pacing is you really don't go anywhere. I could pace here all day and my Fitbit will say I got my steps. But I will still be right here. I've worked on presbytery commissions that have helped churches to close. And I've seen churches close in many different fashions. I've seen churches dwindle down to three or four members, but have tens of thousands of dollars in the bank, refusing to touch it because they're saving it for a rainy day. Folks, you've got four people left. This is the rainy day. You need to be building an ark. But instead, they just pace. 
And I've also seen churches, as their membership diminished, say, well, we've got this endowment. Let's get out there. Let's do some good with it and start incredible missions and ministries, even though they didn't have the manpower, but they had the finances to do it. They say, we might be dying as a congregation, but if we die, we're going to go out swinging. And if we die, we believe in a Savior who defeated death. But still, some churches just pace. Another way churches often move is they march. They pick one thing, one idea, and that is their goal, that is their focus, and they march on that. It might be civil rights. It might be gay rights. It might be against gay rights. It might be against abortion. It could be for or against any number of things. But they believe that that is their issue and that is what they are going to march on and that's what they're going to focus on and that is where they're going to put all their energy. Those churches are going to march. But here's the thing about marching. Marching is rigid. It's unimaginative. I remember being back in high school and going to band camp and being taught the exact way to put my feet and to roll them. And it's been more than 20 years, we'll, we'll say that, since I was in band camp. But I still remember the feel and the way that I had, every one of us had to put our feet and had to move. We had to move in unison. And it didn't give any room for improvisation. It didn't give any room for creativity. And what do you do as a church if you decide to tackle an issue and that issue is completed? There's an organization in the Presbyterian Church uh, known as the Covenant Network. And they've been around for 20, 25 years. And, and for years, they fought the battle for the ordination of GLBT people. And that passed several years ago, and since then they have floundered. They have lacked an identity. They have not been able to say who or what they are. And they've struggled. And churches do that as well. Churches pick one issue, and they march rigidly, focusing on that one issue. I think the worst way that churches can move is to not move at all. We've all known churches that stand still. That churches are content with the status quo. They like the people they worship with. They feel secure in their budget. They don't feel the need to try or to do anything new. To reach out to the community. To reach outside their walls. They're perfectly happy exactly where they are and they refuse to think that things will ever change. So they stand perfectly still. And I think stand, a church that's standing still is worse than a church that is dying because they are dead yet they just don't realize it. When a church stops reaching out, when a church stops proclaiming the gospel, when a church becomes content and happy to stay in one place, it ceases to be a church. 
and just stands there and languages and dies slowly. There's the old saying that they're dead, they just don't know it yet. Now you might think one of these applies to UPB and at different times, different ones of them have. But the question I asked earlier was, what movement should UPB embody? And I don't think we should pace. I don't think we should march. I definitely don't think we should stand still. I think here at the United Parish of Bowie, we should dance. I've never been more involved with a church that has had a bigger interest and a bigger gifts to music. So it makes perfect sense that we dance. I've got a dear friend from seminary, Jennifer. We were both from East Tennessee. We were from the same presbytery. We went to seminary together. We went to the same exploratory weekend. We, to this day, call each other seminary sister and brother. We did our internship, uh, our chaplaincy internship together. And we went through rounds together, did all sorts of stuff together. And one part of it is we had to preach in the hospital chapel one week. Each of the interns did. And I remember, here's eight or ten of my future colleagues. I am going to wow them. I spent hours and hours pouring into my sermon, practicing it, writing it, crafting it, rewriting it. Do you know what it was about? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. The week after I preached, it was Jennifer's turn. And she got up there and said, Today for my sermon, I'm going to practice liturgical dance. And part of me inside laughed and thought, what a cop-out. I spent hours working on my sermon, and here she's going to dance? And then one of her friends started playing the guitar, and then someone else joined in on the piano. And she read scripture, and she began to move. And the way she moved conveyed God's love. The way she moved conveyed God's grace. The way she moved spoke to the scripture passage and God's presence in her life. The way God has comforted her, embraced her, and called her. Her dance proclaimed the gospel. Ten years later, I have no clue what I preached about, but I still remember her sermon, her liturgical dance, because through it, she proclaimed the gospel and proclaimed God's love. Now, liturgical dance still is not my thing. I promise you, you will not have to witness me breaking out in liturgical dance. And for that, you should truly be thankful. But I learned that there is power and grace in dance. That in dance, we can convey a message. In dance, we give ourselves to a movement. One of the founders of modern dance once wrote, For me, the definition of dance is communication between body and soul to express words that the mouth cannot. That dance is expressing ideas so powerful that words fail us. And is there any idea, any 
thoughts, any words more powerful than the God that created the entire universe, all that we see and don't see, becoming a frail little baby, living among us, dying for us? Words fall short of what that means. I want to take you back to our reading uh, from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in a mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. When our church dances, we are praising God. When our church dances, we are proclaiming God's grace and love and comfort in our lives. When our church dances, we are being a gospel people. If you think about dancing and dancing, you give yourself to the rhythm, to the beat. You let those move you. When we dance as a church, we give ourselves to the Spirit, to the gift of that Pentecost morning, and we let the Spirit move us. We let the Spirit guide us. And unlike pacing, it can take us places. Unlike marching, there's no rigidity to it. Unlike standing still, we are reaching out and we are living the gospel in all that we do. On Good Friday or Easter morning, when you came in, the sanctuary looked different. We no longer had our nice, neat rows with 13 and 13, or I I think it was 13. I don't remember the exact side. I always got in trouble for putting the chairs back wrong. But instead, we had this kind of new uh, amphitheater-type feel. But imagine if you came in next Sunday and looked completely different. Imagine you came in and there were no chairs at all. That's how people used to worship. Before the Middle Ages, churches did not have pews and they did not have seats. But there are records of the Middle Ages of bishops writing to their superiors, complaining and asking for pews and seats. Because while they were singing the psalms, while they were reading the scripture, while they were preaching the word, the people gathered were given to spontaneous movements of dancing. They were so filled with the Spirit, they couldn't help but to start to move and to dance. We've come a long way to a congregation that doesn't like to clap along with the beat. If we can, I cannot. So um, that's my excuse. Imagine a congregation standing and just giving way to dancing because you are so moved by the Spirit. And the thing about dancing that is really powerful, why we should move as a dance, as a church, is because dancing is a community action. Most of you probably don't know this, but I used to be a part-time DJ. I worked at a college radio station. I... I, uh, DJed a few parties, and do you know what song gets people dancing more than any other song? Electric slide. YMCA. That's right. The YMCA never fails. If, if you've got a party, if you've got a wedding reception, and people aren't dancing, play the YMCA. Because almost everybody knows the movements. You don't need an a Indian headdress or a construction hat. You know the movements. And if you don't, they're easy to pick up. Nobody likes to be the first person dancing, but people like to join in when others dance. 
And all it takes is one or two people dancing and others will join in. And then you are a community. And think about a time when you've been in a big group dancing. It doesn't matter if you're a classically trained ballerina. It doesn't matter if you're expert at dancing or you never danced before. You are part of that group. If you don't know the moves and you're trying to pick them up as you are going along, or if you created them yourselves, you are welcome into that group. And that is what the church should be. The church should be a community where all are welcome. It doesn't matter if you've never been to church before or you've come every Sunday since the day you were born. You are part of this community. And this is so fitting for Pentecost because on Pentecost the disciples went down and although they were speaking their own language, everyone understood them in the language that they heard. And dancing is universal. I remember my grandparents, I believe it was their 50th wedding anniversary, took the whole family on a cruise to Mexico. And I was a college kid. I was a young and like to, to party. So I spent a lot of time in the dance club. And I remember they introduced us to a new dance and they said, this is going to be really big in the next six months. And I was like, okay. And I couldn't understand a word of the song, but they showed us the moves and pretty soon everyone was doing it. And sure enough, six months later, everyone was doing the Macarena. We all know that song, but none of us know, or very few of us probably know what it means or what any of the words is. It doesn't matter. Dance does not speak a language. Dance is universal. Just as God's love is universal. As God's grace is universal. And that's the message of Pentecost. The Spirit descended upon the disciples and they worshipped and they proclaimed God's glory in a way that all could understand them. In a manner that was universal. Friends, churches move in different ways. And Pentecost truly was not a moment, but it was the beginning of a movement, a movement that we continue to live into this day. And looking at United Parish of Bowie, I don't see how we can pace. We shouldn't worry that we are a smaller church because we do some incredible things. We have uh, the Mars Hill Mission Trip. We're developing mission partners. We have the SMA Walk. We have our art and music camp. We have seeds. We have an incredible choir. We are proclaiming God's grace and love and proclaiming Christ's saving grace each and every week. So we have no reason to pace because we are going places. We shouldn't march because we cannot be confined to something that rigid. We cannot be confined to one message except for the message of God's love and grace. And this congregation definitely is not standing still. So as we live into our Pentecost heritage, as we remember the Spirit descending upon the disciples and pray that it descends upon us, I pray that when it descends upon us, it calls us to dance to move, to give ourselves to that spirit, to welcome others regardless of skill, regardless of experience, to worship and proclaim God in a way that is universal, that all can understand, no matter what their background, no matter what their heritage, no matter what language they speak. 
Friends, God is calling us to dance this Pentecost and every day. So join with me as we give ourselves to the Spirit. Amen.